Hello, and welcome to the R Resources Podcast. I'm your host, Kalen Brand. Today's guest on the podcast is Stephen Williams. He is the investor relations expert at Bluestone Resources, which is a Lundin Group company. Stephen and I had the opportunity to chat with one another at the University of Arizona's new School of Mining and Mineral Resources Mines for Limitless Mines event. Um, and so, so because of this, unfortunately, there is a lot of background noise in this episode. Um, if you notice this episode and the other episode released on the same date with Adam Hawkins, they they both have a lot of background noise and that's because they were both uh, recorded live at this event. Uh, so I apologize for the noise in the background, but I I thought that the event and the opportunity to speak with both of these uh, notable thinkers within the mining space was really too good of an opportunity to pass up. Um, so anyway, uh, Stephen, he has a background in engineering. Um, he actually worked down here in Arizona for for a few years as a metallurgist um, before moving on into investor relations. And I find Stephen a, a fascinating person in general, um, given his diverse background, uh, moving from engineering into investor relations. And he's also had a, a few other occupations throughout the financial side of mining. Um, so to me, I, I look up to him because of his multidisciplinary background and, and being able to go between those different sectors. And that's something that we, we talk about on the episode. He has some really valuable insights, some unique comparisons between uh, JV miners and um, biotech companies. Companies, for example, and when we talk about uh, the demand and the competitive edge of mining companies versus other industries, uh, I found that topic very interesting on on his end. Um, and in addition to that, we talk about a lot of a lot of the social issues related to mining, where we've come from, where we're going, and in particular, the project that he he's now working on, Cerro Blanco down in Guatemala. And before going on to the actual conversation with Stephen, I, I think it's really important for me to mention how much I appreciate and admire all of the Lundin group. Uh, so Bluestone Resources is uh, run by Jack Lundin, CEO, um, and it's a Lundin Group company. And the Lundin Group is a multinational group of mining companies that is a uh, co-governed in a sense uh, by their leadership teams. And the reason that I personally really look up to the Lundin Group is, well, the first and foremost reason is because they've sponsored me to gain a lot of valuable experiences. For example, going to the PDAC conference in Canada, they've they've sponsored that. They have sponsored a variety of academic projects, uh, research projects, and have have been very good, uh, strong supporters of young mining professionals. This podcast, for example, um, so the Lundin Group has has shown me personally a lot of support, which I'm I'm thankful for. But in addition to that, um, even when trying to be objective and evaluating their operations, uh, there's a difference in type in how they operate. They generally choose higher risk areas, for example, Sierra Blanco's in Guatemala, and really work hard in order to produce value for the local communities that they're within and really work with the host governments, the host communities in order to find solutions. And this is something that I find incredibly valuable about the Lundin Group. Uh, after having met with a lot of their, their leadership team, it, they're down to earth, uh, which I, I really appreciate. And I've, I've been very grateful to be able to meet with them as, as well as other mining leaders and, and C-suite executives. And to me, those that are with the Lundin Group 
are seriously of a different type. Um, they a lot of them have engineering and science backgrounds. Most of them have worked as uh, doing exploration, doing engineering on site, and they are all very down to earth. And I think that this shows in in how their operations are able to uh, produce in these sometimes volatile areas and be able to provide true value to the communities. And I think Stephen in today's episode exemplifies that as well. He talks about the Sierra Blanco Gold Project. He talks about how they're trying to create value for the communities and work with the communities. And so I think Stephen really uh, voices this this type of honest truthfulness uh, that the group has. And so I, I hope that you find the conversation in- interesting. Uh, it's very much focused on the real world aspects of mining, how miners get funded, how people get projects into production. And so it's a it's a valuable insight to understand the the multinational nature of mining as, as well as the financial side of mining. It kind of is a, a glimpse into the everyday life of a young of a junior mining company. Uh, so to me I find that very fascinating to be able to see the multidimensional nature of, of different scales of mining and see how they operate internally. Uh, so with all that said, I, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, I would also recommend that you check out the Lundin Group's uh, websites and check out some of their projects. They're very fascinating. They're, they're all unique in their own separate ways, but each of them has a, a great leadership team that Again, I am personally thankful and grateful for having contributed so much to where I am today. Uh, so with that said, I, I look forward to having more of the Lundin Group on the podcast in the future. Um, but I hope that you enjoy this start with uh, Stephen Williams. So it's recording, so we're good. We're live. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, live in a way. <laughs> uh, so, Stephen Williams, it's a pleasure to have you on the All Resources podcast. Uh, my first question for you is, is, how are you doing? Good. No, I'm, I'm very excited to be here, Kaylin. Uh, actually, my first time down in Tucson. I spent a lot of time in Arizona, but never made it down to Tucson. So it's, it's great to be here at the University of Arizona and, and participating in uh, uh, Minds for Limitless Minds. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for the thanks for the plug with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I'll, I'll be sure to have that in our intro, and we'll get to it later. But um, you know, I, I want to start off with your background. So sure. you said you've been in Arizona. Um, you started off as a mining engineer and actually worked for, for Freeport. Was that in Arizona or was that in New Mexico? It, it was, yeah. So I did my undergrad at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, um, and I did I did it actually in metallurgy. So metallurgist oh, by me background. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Did yeah. you? Oh, good. Good man. And, and then, you know, in Canada, um, a lot of the mines are pretty remote. And so I did some internships there when I was going through my undergrad and kind of went to Ontario and went to the north. And, and they're pretty isolated mines. And, and so when I graduated and I saw that, you know, Freeport, it was actually Phelps Dodge at the time, had a number of mines in, in Arizona. The weather was great. 
the location was good being sort of two hours outside of Phoenix and you know three hours outside of Las Vegas it was actually at their Baghdad operation Baghdad, yeah. um, you know I decided to come down and, and join join them and I I also ended up having a couple of other buddies that we all graduated at the same time come down and join join me as well and both of them two of them actually still work for for Freeport um, you know one's in health and safety in the head office here and then the other one's in a more technical role down at Sierra. Um, so yeah like I spent four years down here in operations at the Baghdad Baghdad site doing um, they were actually sort of testing and advancing um, the copper concentrate pressure yeah. leach process so I was part of that pilot program and running that pilot plant that they had at Baghdad and then transitioned over to the concentrator and was like grinding floor and plantation That's cool. Uh, we're going to have to connect after this about the, the Baghdad piece because I have some questions about the pilot process. Yeah, it was neat. It was a very neat <laughs> time and, um, and it was a really cool experience. Um, and I, you know, at the same time being in a small town with sort of limited things to do, I, I ended up undertaking my MBA. So I did my MBA at um, ASU and, and drove in on you know, twice a week, I guess, and on the weekends to complete that. Uh, and once I completed my MBA, um, you know, sort of look at, look for other opportunities and wanted to, to travel a bit more and see yeah. the world. And that's that's one thing that the mining industry is great for is is you have the opportunity to kind of go uh, all over the world. And I've had that that chance to to travel to quite a few different countries. Um, and so once I completed my MBA, I ended up joining a, um, an engineering firm uh, to try and sort of build and construct projects. Uh, but unfortunately, it was, it was at that time in 2008 when the market just took a big turn down. It was pretty quiet at that time. Um, so once that sort of panned out, I ended up um, transferring to another job in corporate finance and utilizing my MBA and my technical background and joined a an, an investment banking firm out of out of Vancouver, out of Canada, called Canaccord Genuity, and and they specialize in mining, mining M and A, mining corporate finance, or mining okay. finance, and did did that for like a good ten years, I guess. So that brings us exactly where we want to go with the mining finance side. Sure. So my first question here is, you know, how given your time in Baghdad, how does the mine finance compare in, in like Canada because I mean from my experiences it's a totally different culture yeah that's fair and like it is a weird niche market and, and it's just got a history there of well, not Vancouver but Canada financing mining projects and I think it kind of stems from uh, earlier stage that the Toronto Stock Exchange the venture Toronto Stock Exchange specifically was kind of a venture capital market for for these guys looking to raise money to prospect and and explore mining projects and you know Vancouver and Toronto's been you know uh, got a long history of geologists and that's yeah. you know a lot of the time where these companies started with a geologist and a project and they raise you know anywhere from you know a couple hundred thousand dollars to a couple million dollars to kind of get up and running um, and that culture of you know risk and uh, and development is is there, and that's I think a big part of why so much uh, capital markets and, and mining finance comes through Canada. Okay. Uh, so, kind of on this note, I mean, for for American listeners, they we don't have the same type of interface between the finance side and then the, the more technical side of, of getting production. Um, so, I wanted to ask. 
could you just explain in brief how people raise you know billions of dollars to go somewhere across the globe and start a mine? Sure. Um, so I guess it starts with an idea. You know, you kind of find a project and um, you know you you stake it or you you, you, know, you claim it, and and then with that and that concept and that idea, you bring it to a handful of investors. And if the idea is good enough, um, they'll definitely back you. And depending on the stage of the project, if it's more advanced and they've done, you know, historical work on it, sometimes you can raise more money, like in the millions of dollars, to get up and running. Um, or if it's an earlier stage project where you want to do sort of early prospecting and and some geological work, then it's going to be maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars to a million dollars to kind of prove it out and prove out the concept before you drill it. Um, and you know, there's a network of brokers and and financiers in Canada that, that will support this, and uh, a lot of that is based on the Toronto stock, the Toronto the venture, the Toronto stock exchange the venture. Um, and like, I guess you don't really have that in the U.S., right? Like the, no. the stock exchange down here, the you know the Nasdaq and the New York Stock Exchange are quite a bit bigger. There's quite a bit more regulation. And so they might not be geared towards like earlier stage speculative investments like the, the yeah. venture is in Canada, and um, and so I think that's partly where that culture of, of financing, you know, that type of risk comes from. You do see it, I guess. In I, I like I, I have a, a, a sister-in-law that's in uh, biopharmaceuticals, right? Or, the pharmacy industry and I would say it's very similar to that like the the risk profile and the returns for like you know drug development and, and pharmaceuticals is very similar and it's either like a home run or or a bust, or bust. Um, but there's just so much more money in the US for pharmaceutical companies than there is for mining money for mining in Canada interesting that's that's an interesting person I wouldn't have expected yeah. that uh, so kind of going off of this it's, it's a slight tangent, but when comparing, so so you're with you're with the Lundin Group, more specifically the Bluestone Resources. Yep. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to get at is how would you compare the risk profile for a Canadian company like Bluestone versus some of these large conglomerates that we see within the U.S. So I'm thinking more of like the, the Freeports and the Rios, those types of companies. Yeah, like as you go down to smaller companies, the risk profile increases like exponentially, but then yeah. so does the, the reward as well, right? And and I think that's partly the allure of the mining industry, and for me it is anyways, is it's an industry where you can invest and you can participate in and it is high risk, but the reward there it you know, it can make you um, you know, significant returns and and it's a little bit like treasure hunting. And yeah. that's that's what people like, right? Like as I know there's there's all kinds of examples of people investing in mining companies and, and making money and sort of setting themselves up for, for life based on that. And and it's very hard to find that in other industries or with larger companies, right? Yeah. Like if you're investing in a large conglomerate that's got multiple mines, it doesn't doesn't have that kind of torque or upside that a, yeah. a junior mining exploration company would have. That makes sense. So another question I have on this is that I mean, I've heard from some juniors that kind of their their goal is similar to like tech companies where they want to prove a project and, and show that there's enough there to be bought out by a larger company. And so basically, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, like there's definitely an element of, you know, advancing a project, de-risking it as far as you can, you know, completing your feasibility studies on it and then looking for a larger producer to come in and, and purchase it. 
Um, because at the end of the day, like building a mine is hard. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's a lot of hard work and, and a junior developer doesn't have necessarily that skill set or access to capital to be able to do it. And so, you know, a natural fit is to, to sell it to a, a producer that can advance it and develop it in a, in a proper manner. Um, you know, I've always been a firm believer of sort of developing things and, and buying into assets that you believe in and, and ultimately can become a mine. And, and so that's, you know, for me, partly the allure of it is creating that kind of wealth and opportunities for the people around the mine is, is a big attraction and, and something that, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd want to be part of, right? And that's that's a big reason why I joined Bluestone back in the day is when we purchased uh, Cerro Blanco as an advanced asset, we were looking to put it into construction and, and um, you know, it, to be able to build a mine in your career is, in this day and age, is pretty unique and and a, and a pretty awesome opportunity, I think, to be able to participate in. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think I'm envious of, of your position being it's coming so early. And so, uh, a few questions on that note. I mean, so first off, what, what interested you in joining Bluestone and joining the Cerebronco project? I guess, and another part of that is, at this stage, how do you differentiate projects? How do you know that one is better than another? How do you know which one you want to invest in? Yeah, and that's a tough question. So, like, I joined Bluestone when we purchased the asset, and it was definitely, like, and I, I think I even told my wife this, is it this might be the peak of my career just because an opportunity to build a mine, it doesn't come along that often, and a, and a chance to be able to do that is, is really yeah. unique. And so I kind of viewed that as a special opportunity. Um, you know, and we're still working away at Bluestone and advancing the asset and, and ultimately, you know, waiting for our, our open pit permit amendment to be able to, to kind of pick that up again. So um, it is tough and it, it is a lot of challenges uh, to, to get to that point. Um, but it's important. So what what differentiated the Bluestone from all the other... Uh, yeah, fair enough. Um, you know, I think differentiating companies and companies to invest in a really important aspect is management right like you know if you've got a team that is committed and trying to do the right thing in a responsible manner um, that's really important um, obviously you know the technical aspects of the project need to be there um, and, and sometimes that's hard to determine right like that's the, the tricky thing about mining is that you don't always know uh, what you're gonna get until you get into the into the ground yeah, right like you can you can do as many studies and, and as much drilling as you can, but you don't always know, and so that's kind of that additional risk. Um, but people is a really important aspect. It's a small industry, um, you know, and the people that are in it love it, and they, you know, you need to kind of pick and choose the right ones to work with and, okay. and, um, and be a part of that. So that, that brings us kind of round circle, and I want to spend a lot of time talking about the interdisciplinary nature of mining. Um, and so leading into that, Kind of what what characteristics of mine management really differentiates someone from being very successful and having a, a responsible mine that builds value for the community versus a mine that is not going to be successful, it's not going to have the social license to operate, um, and is, is going to be cause havoc for whatever community it's, it's interacting with. Yeah, like social acceptance is a, is a tough thing to sort of put a finger on right like it, it's not it's a very complex issue right and sort of determining how to navigate that is, is difficult um, but it is an important aspect of the mining industry today and it's something that you know I think we're as an industry as a whole we're doing a lot better job of 
um, it is a big focus, sustainability and, and working with um, you know, local partners and local stakeholders so that those benefits can be maximized for the people around the mine. Yeah. Um, and it's you know it's an important important component of how the Lundin group approaches things and they're you know if you look at their last mine they they developed in, in, and and um, built uh, Fruta del Norte was building out suppliers and supplier capacity around the mines so they could ultimately supply the mine once in operation and in the training program so that they could hire all local employees is 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 something that's I think going to become more and more important in the industry uh, going forward and. And I think a way that you can you can maximize benefits from the state. So tying this back to your background in finance, uh, previously on the podcast we've had a, a more provocative guest kind of talk about the idea that at the end of the day, mining is still a business. Yeah. And so even though we understand that, that community relations is increasingly important, how when you're talking to shareholders and uh, other financiers, how do you balance the need to, to work with communities um, in these ways, in, in ways that are not explicitly generating profit? Well, they, they want to know, right? Like, um, a lot of investors nowadays that we talk to, you know, they'll want to know the economics of the project and that, that they're good, obviously, but, you know, right up there in the top three questions is like, what's your relationship with local communities and sort of what's the dynamic and what are they, what are they like to work with? Because they realize that without social acceptance your project is isn't worth anything like you can't advance it and so you know it's top of mind for all investors nowadays and you can you can see that in in terms of like esg reporting and and the focus on reducing your carbon footprint so it's going to become more and more important going forward and it's something that you know as an industry we need to do a better job of communicating as well can you, can you expand on that last comment about increasing our communication well i think you know, historically, the mining sector has had, you know, uh, uh, there's been a lack of understanding on what's gone on, and we probably haven't done a good job of, of communicating, you know, not necessarily the benefits of mining, but but also, you know, how how it can be done responsibly and, and how to do it responsibly, and then making that effort to make sure that we follow through with those commitments. Um, you know, we're starting to see it now, and and even. You know, participating in this event here, like this job fair at the University of Arizona, um, put on by the School of Mining and Mineral Resources. Yeah, <laughs> that um, you know, talking to students, they they don't fully understand mining and all the different aspects of mining, and and that's a big reason why we're here is to change that perception and 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 help people understand you know what responsible mining looks like and and how you know there's a, a focus on responsible mining and, and all the aspects that go into that. And, and it's great to see that they're open and receptive to it. And I think, you know, you're starting to see the younger people realize the importance of mining, especially with, um, you know, the battery metals and the electrification that's going on. People realize that to, to transition to that type of, um, you know, low and lower carbon footprint society, we need metals yeah. and copper is an important aspect of that. And so they're eager to learn more. And, We've had some really good interactions with students about wanting to know, like, you know, what, what does this mean and how do you do this? And it's not just about digging a hole in the ground anymore. Yeah. Um, so, so it's really neat. It's really neat. Well, that's, that's interesting. And kind of going back to something you were talking about earlier about proving the, that mine can be done responsibly. I think, so, so one question, when, when you're talking with these various groups, whether it be potential investors, students, the communities you work with, how do you 
build that trust that, that you're going to be able to mine responsibly, that the future is not going to be replicating the past. Yeah, um, and it starts kind of with anything is, is you've got to you've got to be open and transparent and, and then what you communicate to your shareholders and your investors you deliver on. Um, and so, you know, we actively talk about our responsible mining practices and, you know, we put out a, a sustainability booklet that talks about, you know, our usages and our consumptions and, and then what, what our management plans are to, to reduce that impact. And so I think that's part of it is, is the first step is kind of that transparency and that communication about um, what, what impacts there are and how you manage those impacts and then delivering on that as well. Um, you know, just like anything, it takes a while to build trust in that relationship, but, um, you know, you guys start saying uh, that makes sense. And then, you know, for, for a junior company that's looking to de-risk a project, I guess, what what would you recommend being the best way to de-risk um, while not overshadowing uh, the, the transparency factor that you just talked about with the trust? Does that, does that make sense? Um, yeah, like I think it all starts with the drill bit and, and trying to de-risk your project through the drill bit. Okay. And then as you get more advanced and you can deliver on your studies and demonstrate that you've got a business case there, you can start to build out some of your social programs and you can you can work on you know showing and demonstrating the benefits to the local communities. But you know it all starts with the drill bit and, and sort of demonstrating that you've got geological potential and then demonstrating that economically with the feasibility study and then ultimately sort of communicating the benefits that it would have with, with your, your mm. local stakeholders. That's interesting. Okay. And so, how far have you been in this in this whole process with Bluestone or, or with your previous experiences? Um, yeah, like I've kind of, we've done, we've done a lot. Like we've, we've run a couple of feasibility studies on the Cerro Blanco asset. Like it was originally an underground mine, much smaller. And, and where is Cerro Blanco? Can you just Right, yeah, sorry. It's, um, it's in Guatemala, southeastern part of Guatemala. Um, you know, there's been a, a history there. It was it was found in 1997 by, by Mar West and then ultimately bought out by, by Goldport down the road. Um, and, and it was permanent as an underground mine which was much smaller than what we envisioned today. Um, the benefits were, were, were not as much, and so we kind of looked at it when we took it over um, and contemplated a larger operation, an open pit, where you would sort of extract more more recoverable gold, um, sort of almost two, two mm -hmm. times as much gold, and, and as a result, it would generate almost twice the benefit as well. Yeah. Um, you know, more jobs, more economic uh, growth and contribution to the Guatemalan economy. And that's one of the drivers for why we made that switch. And then, uh, you know, ultimately, we uh, we submitted a permit amendment late last year, and we're, we're looking to to work with the local authorities to to grant to get or grant that permit amendment, uh, you know, early next year. That's cool. So, so in that process and in your experiences, going back to the previous question, where you're talking about all these different types of people interacting with each other to, to build mm -hmm. social trust, to build the, the case for investors, all of it. How have you, how has the interface between different disciplines gone for you? Has it been smooth? Has it been bad? Are there any best practices that you've learned? Um, it's not always smooth. Um, <laughs> you know, we've obviously had our challenges in, in Guatemala. It's a, it's a difficult jurisdiction. And, um, and, and sort of, you know, advancing our project, we've gone through our economic studies and then, you know, been working with our local communities to communicate that benefit. Um, but it takes time to sit down and educate people 
about the benefits of mining. Um, you know, there is still an element of, of people that oppose mining, um, and and they use you know scare tactics or misinformation, and and that's not really the case anymore, right? Like, there's a lot of science behind mining that you can you can show and demonstrate, you know, what you're doing and, and how you're going to do it to best practices, um, and that's kind of what you, you have to do. And, you know, managing that and managing those expectations is tough, but it, and it takes time, right? Like, um, building yeah. that trust with the community so that you can educate them on mining and then educate them on the benefits of mining yeah. is, kind of, is, is kind of a process. And so here's here's a slightly provocative question. I mean, you mentioned earlier, my, so mining is going to have an impact, and no matter what. Um, and when you're managing the expectations of a community, how do you manage this idea that you might have negative impacts, that there is risk? Well, you know, I guess when I say impacts, like, you know, you run your feasibility study and your economic engineering studies to understand what those impacts could be, and then you design around them and you create ma uh, environmental management plans to minimize and reduce or eliminate those risks, right? Like, uh -huh. you know, noise and dust is a is, is key key elements of that, and so you can you can you know have management plans that, that reduce all of that. Um, you know, water management's another key one, so you can you can run water treatment plants and make sure that any water that you guys you know come in contact with, you can you know treat and manage so that uh -huh. you're not impacting the surrounding environments. And that's ultimately what we strive to do. And that's you know I think overall as an industry we strive to do is nobody wants to go out and harm the environment, right? Like we yeah. all <laughs> live in it, um, we all participate in it. Like I enjoy hiking a lot and I enjoy the outdoors. I like camping. Um, so I don't. That's the last thing we want to see is is that impacted. Um, but managing that and reducing that is is the goal. Gotcha. Cool. Um, so. On, on the topic of reducing impacts, I guess, do you have any case studies of people who have done this really well and potentially, alternatively, people who have not done it so well? Um, you know, like the Lundin Group has got a really good track record of working well with local communities. And, and again, I point to their, 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 their last um, development project, Fruited on Norte. Um, you know, I, I look at that as quite a successful example of of building a mine in a remote location and you know, managing the environmental impacts of that and also working really closely with the local communities to, to maximize those benefits. I think that's a, a really good case study for like developing a mine in this day and age responsibly. And have investors rewarded uh, London Gold because they've done such a good job? I think so. Like if you, you know, and this is somewhat subjective, but if you look at their valuation in the market, I think that they they get a good valuation in the market as a result of the you know the management team delivering on what they said they were going to uh -huh. do and doing it in a responsible manner. Yeah. Okay. So I guess again, more provocative question off of this would be looking looking in the future. Would you still suggest that that our current capital market systems are going to be rewarding to, to those that are doing good practices, or are there alternative systems that we might want to consider? Um, I think so. Yeah, like um, the capital markets is you know they're getting smarter and smarter, and they realize that they're not going to reward management teams that aren't cognizant of. Um, you know, environmental practices and, and managing that and sustainability. Like you can see it in the junior mining space, where a lot of developer companies and exploration companies are actively communicating and talking about sustainability and ESG. And I think that's where it's going. Um, larger investors, like they're they're 
investors that put money into these funds are demanding it as well. And so like some of these funds have mandates that they have to disclose on on certain sustainability practices. And I think, yeah, like for sure. Like you see it in the oil and gas industry and it's coming over to the mine industry. We're a little bit behind the oil and gas industry, but we're quickly catching up. Can you expand on that? Well, I just like, you know, like five years ago, there was a big push for um, disclosure transparency in the oil and gas. And so like renewable and sustainability and, and, and those aspects of oil and gas have advanced and um, they've, they've been a lot more cognizant of, of communicating that. And now I think we're going to start seeing that more and more in the mining space. Like especially with the major companies, they're more active on promoting some of their their efforts to you know, manage environmental impacts and even sustainability practices and, and all of that. That makes sense. I'm a bit hesitant to, to agree on the oil and gas side of things. I think that they still have a slightly negative reputation. Um, and I guess in that scenario, do you think oil and gas is, is a good example for mining to learn from? In some regards, but in some regards not, right? Like, it, it's not, um, you know, they've had their troubles in the past as well. Yeah. Um, the thing with oil and gas is I think like they've, they've got enough larger companies that have probably partnered together to make more of a concentrated effort to communicate, um, you know, sustainability practices and, and efforts that are going on in the oil and gas industry, whereas the mining sector hasn't seen that yet, you know, like, okay. I think it's something ultimately we want to see where, you know, mining and mining companies are much more proactive on communicating, you know, sustainability efforts and, and even like, you know, best practices and, and, and working, working that out. Um, and we need to do a better job of it if, if we want to, you know, people to understand and, and people to come into the industry. I think so. Would, do you have any explicit recommendations for how the mining industry could do this? Um, like it's a lot of it can start on social media and just promoting the benefits of mining and building enough momentum that that people can understand. Like you use it in your everyday life, and and it's something that you're you're going to need. And, and people once they start to realize that, I think will be more open to the concept of mining and then might help change their perception. And then you know from that you can start talking about how to do it responsibly and what you do to, to minimize your impacts and, and manage manage the environment around the lines. Um, and yeah, like I and I think it's happening. Like and that's again that's partly why we're down here as well, right? Yeah. Is to start talking about that and, and getting that out there and, and changing people's perception. That's, that's exciting stuff. Um, so kind of moving forward what do you see as, as the next steps for the mining industry as a whole? Is it going to be something like the ICMM for social media and, and getting mining popularized? Or is it going to be regulation? Can you... Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I wouldn't see it necessarily being regulation, um, but I would see maybe, I, ideally, some partnerships forming where there's an effort to run communication campaigns that promote the benefits of mining and how to do it responsibly, right? And it, it's going to take, you know, an industry as a whole to, to probably change those perceptions and not just any one company acting individually to, to try and pound their fist on the table saying this is all the great things that we do and, and these are the benefits it, it, it can bring. It's, it's almost like an industry thing, right? Yeah. And I think for me, that's something I find fascinating about mining. I'd like to hear your opinion on this is that you know, in, when you look at the mining industry versus, like, for example, you brought biotech earlier. Yeah. 
biotech is a competitive market. And what I mean by that is that when they produce something, they they have greater returns because they produced it first. They, they had some type of competitive edge. Whereas in mining, from my perception, this may be completely naive, um, you know, the, the market price for copper, for example, doesn't change because one new mine comes up. So, so to me, it seems like it would be a more favorable industry to create these type of industry-wide cooperatives um, because we're not in direct competition. There isn't that same competitive edge. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. But I would argue that like where it's earlier than that. It's like where where you would compare it to is when you're making that discovery, and, and the competition is like staking and claiming the ground to make that discovery, and and that's where the similar risk profile and returns are to um, a pharmaceutical industry is like if you're willing to risk staking that ground and drilling it, not knowing what you're going to get, and you make that discovery, you yeah. discover that drug, you're going to have a similar return profile. Um, and it's not later on when you're trying to sell it, it's that discovery that you see those type of returns and, and benefits. That makes sense. But that said, would you still, do you still feel like the mining industry is, is more favorable to this type of industry-wide cooperation? Because, I mean, once, so once you're beyond the, the discovery stage, if you're, if you're some of the large multinational companies, you may not even be doing exploration. I mean, why, why not collaborate with one Well, as long as you can get your return on capital, right? Like, the challenge is, like, <laughs> um, you know, a lot of these mining projects require big capital investments, and yeah. you want to get your return on capital before you do anything. Um, and then, typically, there's the, the industry is quite cyclical, and you see, um, you know, copper prices or whatever, commodity prices go up and down, and you yeah. need to then... You know, in a down cycle, you sometimes lose money and you need to make that back up in an upstream. And so it, it would be, I think it would be hard to see that cooperative model work because, you know, guys want to want a return on their investment and it's such a cyclical nature that you know, a cooperative wouldn't be conducive to that. So, so then going back to what you earlier recommended in terms of our communication and having industry unite over this, this issue, do you see that same issue with cooperation being an issue within cooperating on building strong communications? No, like you've seen it in other industries. Like um, in Canada, you had like a lot of the oil companies, oil and gas companies combine for a partnership and they were talking about the benefits of the oil sands yeah. and how to do it responsibly. And it was like a massive communication program. And I could see something like that in the, uh, in the mining space. Interesting. Um, you know, like, a, and I, like I could be wrong here. I just, I haven't seen like that central hub of information on the benefits of mining, like it's still quite scattered, right? But if yeah. I want to go and learn about mining and, and find out about mining and the benefits and what it's used in and, and how it impacts my daily life, I don't I don't necessarily know where I look for that. Like, and it might be out there, I'm just, I'm not, it's yeah. not broadly, like, uh, you know, communicated or yeah. popularized. That makes sense. Um, so, who, what, what groups or what audiences do you think if, if we're going towards this model of, of just increasing our communication, who would be the top audiences? Who would be the top stakeholders? Oh, it's like students. Um, it's like, you know, younger generations that are coming into the workforce that, um, you know, utilize, heavily utilize technology, but don't maybe fully understand, you know, how it's, how it's created and where it comes from. Um, and then getting them to realize that, you know, any 
you know, any cell phone or a piece of technology is kind of mined at some point in time. And then changing that stigma from, you know, my, what mining what, what mining could be in their mind to, to what it actually is and, and doing a better job of communicating. That makes sense. I like that. Because so, there, there's a lot of groups out there that do a really good job of vilifying mining, I would say. And, you know. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. Um, and I guess it'd be interesting to see how that compares between, you know, if you're working Guatemala, Canada, and then the U.S. Um, because, I mean, down here I think that we have a few that vilify mining, but I think it's, honestly, it's more that people don't have an opinion on it. You know, yeah, they, don't, right. they don't feel strongly about it or strongly against it. Um, but where that can cause an issue is that then it's not a priority issue that they want to push forward. So if there is a project that wants to get you know, up and running, it's not something that the public is going to help push forward, which is something that's very much needed. Yeah, no, and that's that's a really good point. I agree, and that's it, that's exactly right. Is that lack of understanding, and so they don't necessarily want to support it, actively support it to yeah. move things forward. But the reality is, like, it's getting tougher and tougher to build mines, and you know we're going to have to to figure that out because you know the world's growing, people's standards of living are increasing, and as standards of living increase, they consume more metals and, yeah. and natural resources, and so you know we're going to have to keep up with that pace of demand and, and to do that they're going to need to understand it. Yeah, that's a, that's a big challenge. Yeah, no yeah. it is, it is. <laughs> um, but I do see that, I think I will see that in my career, that's, that's I think what I'm saying. That's, that's very positive, yeah, I mean I sure hope so. Um, so kind of as, we, as we're coming to an end here, I always like to end on a bit uh, a less certain note. Um, so if, if you had, you know, like three wishes, for example, about what you'd like to see in the future, or three recommendations for, for the listeners, what would they be? Three recommendations from a career perspective, or...? Anything. If, if you want to see us start mining on the moon, oh, whatever. You know, I would... That's a tough one. <laughs> like, I think... I'd like to see responsible mining well understood and, and put okay. into practice on a, on a larger scale. Like, and that, that is happening, but I, I would really like to see that. Um, you know, I would like to see, and I even see it in my kids, right? Like, trying to explain to them and so they can understand mining and what, what it's uses for is like, is to get that on a broader scale so that people can actually understand mining and, and realize its benefits and, and sort of make well-educated or well-informed decisions, right? Like, I'm not saying, you know, everybody has to support it, I get it, but as long as everybody can understand the issues and realize both sides of it to make that decision would be something that would be important to me. Um, and then for any students that are listening to this, um, I would encourage them to read about the industry. Like, there's some really neat stories and characters out there in the industry, um, and, you know, reading about them and their history and how they've they've had success it, it, it just makes for a really neat like industry like it's just yeah. it's just a really cool sector to be in and the people that are in it love it and they want to be there and, and it's just great to be a part of it it's fantastic and I, I don't I know I said that was the last question but um, I have one more so when you're talking about understanding mining I guess I think I think we, we compare ourselves a lot to agriculture in terms of being kind of the two two basic needs, you know, agriculture produces the grown food and, and grown items, and mining produces everything that's not grown. Yeah. 
And so I'm, I'm kind of curious your thoughts on whether or not people have that type of understanding with a sector and industry like agriculture. Well, it's funny because I don't think people fully understand agriculture as well. Like, it's much easier to understand. That's, but yeah. I think like that tangible benefit that they get of agriculture and like directly eating something that has been grown is much more relatable than you know um, looking at a product and determining like oh that's been mined or, or, or that's come from you know the, the ground is is a bit of a tougher connection to make. Yeah. And then I think there's that stigma that goes along with mining where you know when you look at agriculture it's you know and you, you think of like even when I think of farming or agriculture I think of like a farm and you know a family farm yep, and somebody yep. like kind of <laughs> farming the land and it's like a sustainable renewable practice. And, yeah. And it's um, it doesn't have the same you know perception or, or, or stigma that mining has. No, that's that's a fair answer. I think. That's... But both are very similar, like to a certain extent. Like you yeah. are, you know, farming, mining, and and then yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, both are doing production. You've got to meet quotas, and, and you're trying to create value. Yeah. So I think I think that's a good assessment. Yeah. yeah. No, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here, Kaylin, and um, I really enjoyed it, and glad we could we could catch up and have this conversation. Me too. I'm... Wow, yeah, thanks for taking the time. I hope you enjoy the rest of the event. Um, yeah, thank you, Sam, for being on the All Resources podcast. Thank you. All right. You're good. Hey, that was good. I